And I think you can't take on more projects until you've sort of gotten a hold of what you have. That's why like, we try to keep processes and schedules together and our group calendars and just everything to kind of organize us because we, we do want to take on more work. We do want to grow, but you kind of can't do that until you really have a good handle on what you have. I think in the beginning, we, we were lucky we started slow. We were able to just kind of build our way up and get the process down as we started to take on more work. So welcome to episode 101 of the AFT Construction Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Levitt. And in this episode, we have HW Interiors joining us from Florida. We have both Heather and Lisa. And it's an amazing company. You know, Heather has done a great job from the interior side and Lisa on the back end and the, the management side and that relationship, that cohesiveness and what they built. And they're doing some amazing designs inside and outside the country, inside and outside of Florida. And just their dynamic, you know, understanding the the value of that designer with the builder, understanding the value of that communication with the client and how they built their company to success and especially working through COVID, you know, trying to understand how we need to deviate and change our structure and our company management. So without further ado, let's get started. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast. And we have two special guests with us today. We have Heather Ways and Lisa Hines. Welcome, Heather and Lisa. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So excited. Excited to have you on here. And Heather is principal designer with HW Interiors, and Lisa is the director of operations. And they have an amazing firm working all over the country and everywhere else uh, based out of Florida. And we've been connected on Instagram for a long time. And now we get you on the other side of the microphone. So glad to have you today. We're so glad to be here. We've listened to you and followed along for a long time. And we we really enjoyed some of your other interviews, so we're really excited to be here. Well, I love to listen to podcasts. I know you do too, Lisa, because there's so much value. You know, hearing conversations, it's different than just a Twitter, you know, excerpt. It's different than Instagram posts. You can have a little bit more dialogue, and there's things always said that like click. And what's funny, one of the reasons I enjoy doing this is when I have guests on such as yourself, like in the conversation, there's information you share, and I'm like, that's a great idea. I'm going to apply yeah, that to totally. my business. Totally. <laughs> So with that said, I want to understand a little bit more about your process. So I know on for HW Interiors, the big thing is turnkey. So explain what that is. <laughs> um, turnkey sort of happened by accident. I think in the beginning, it was because we would finish a project and we didn't want anybody to sort of, for lack of a better word, kind of put their own stuff back in it. <laughs> so we tried to <laughs> completely finish it from, from top to bottom, including dishes and accessories. And it just kind of became one of our signature things, I think. Heather loves to really see it through all the way to the end. So how do you balance that? Because I'm, I'm sure for Heather, this is the hard part. When when you say we don't want to see the clients put their things and we laugh because we, we understand that. And it's not anything against them. It's just as you're doing a new home or a new build or remodel, there's this new style, new flavor, right? You want to make sure everything lines up and that's the whole turnkey. So how do you manage if a client's emotionally attached to a certain piece of furniture or dishes, as you mentioned. How do you incorporate that, Heather? So luckily, I shouldn't say this luckily, but we, we have so many clients that are so willing to really let us complete the whole vision start to finish that they're not super, super attached to anything. But if they are, and there have been cases, of course, like something mm -hmm. special, an heirloom, something from a you know, family member, we definitely just try to incorporate it, but bringing it up to date and using it in the correct light, maybe refinishing it, reupholstering it, um, so we definitely, definitely respect that and just try to be able to repurpose it sometimes. Yeah. Do, so in most cases, it sounds like they trust you the whole way, which is ideal. And so do you ever get pushback though? If they're like, well, I don't want to reupholster it. I mean, how often does that happen where 
you are having a massage, just that whole emotion to, to the piece itself. Yeah, it's definitely a process. And sometimes really <laughs> and they see the vision and they're like, totally, yes, go for it. And other times it takes them, you know, walking through, talking it through their hand, letting them know that we're going to respect the piece, but that it's going to be showcased in a better light this way. Yeah. And more appreciate it. And Honestly, you know, what's happened a few times is they've had a, an idea that they want to keep a piece, but then once they see the rest of everything finished, then they sort of see that that doesn't really fit anymore. And then they're more likely to sort of let it go mm-hmm. a couple of times. But if That's they do right. want to keep it, of course, we find a way to keep it and we work it in. It's their house and they have to love it in the end. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, that part's really important. But I love that you brought that up, Lisa, because this really shows just the importance of the process, right? As you're thinking about design, if you can put together, whether it be a design book or renderings or a visual, because most of our clients aren't visual, you know, we do this every day, so we know what it's going to look like. They don't. So the more you can put that together in your design process to set that expectation, that can help alleviate some of the doubts or concerns a client may have. Totally. Yeah. I think and we, mood boards, pulling, yes. like putting them the full vision and also meeting to go over every sample together. And I think when they see how passionately also you are about the design, it, all of those components help them to see the whole vision and feel more comfortable. Yeah, that's super valuable. So how often should the designer be hired then in the process? How often do you, are you involved with the ideal client from the beginning? I mean, the earlier, the better for us. It's amazing how many people will come to you two months before they want to start a large scale renovation. And they'll say, well, you know, for example, every day and some people might be ready to start in September. Well, it's the second week in August. Like it's going to take us, you know, four months, six months to get this whole packet together and really give you a full bidding package that you can give to a contractor to compare apples to apples. We don't want to just like sign on with somebody and then jump into a project and be making willy-nilly selections and kind of flying by the seat of our pants. We like to be organized from the get-go with schedules and a full approved signed off design and everything ordered and on site ready to go. Um, and I think a lot of people don't realize that that takes time and they're always coming to you kind of later in the game. Yeah, so f- people don't realize how much time and, and goes into all of the painstaking details, things seen and unseen. There's so much, as you know, Brad, <laughs> that mm-hmm. goes into it. So if, we, if we're already working with a contractor team and architect, it's great to all meet initially. Like early. <laughs> time. We kind of put all of the ideas out there and, you know, like in a collaborative environment, you know, someone may be like, we can do this, but this, we could do it this way and be so much better. And then right away we can start designing or drawing mm-hmm. and incorporating that right from the get-go and, and being streamlined. Yeah, the time is really tricky for me because this is what I struggle with the most is setting that expectation. Because on one hand, we'll have a client come in and in a perfect world, right? We have designer on board. We have our architect, we have our builder, you know, landscape architect, everyone's together. And the client says, I'm ready to go. And you're like, well, it may be eight months till we put a shovel in the ground. They're like, what? Yeah. Yeah. How is this possible? They don't understand. Yeah, They don't understand. And so from the design side, just speak to the designer element. I mean, for those listening that are contemplating, should I hire a designer? Should I not? You know, when you start thinking about that process, how long does it take? And and I know your projects vary, right? Whether it be remodel, renovation, new build, but on a new build project, let's just say 5,000 square feet. If I'm going to call you today, say HW Interiors, I want you to do my design. Walk me through that process that you would outline me if I was your customer 
until that design book's completed. Lisa is the queen of process. <laughs> I'm like, do you want to take this one or do you want me to? Um, so what will what will always happen is an exploratory phone call. Somebody puts in an inquiry on the website, then we we do a little vetting. I always vet our clients. I think it's really important for everybody's for everybody involved that we don't waste anybody's so time. So how do you vet them? I mean, just out of curiosity, I do want to talk about that because this is really key. And if if you don't vet your clients or you don't understand who your ideal client is, it it, we're, we're chasing things that make yeah. us very unsuccessful, right? No. And it's like, you know, there's a difference between a client who really wants to spend the money on a designer. I mean, let's be honest, this design is a luxury business. It's not for everybody. It's, I always tell people, we're not in the business of saving you money. We're in the business of making this as amazing as possible. So if you're coming to us in the first place, not coming to us to cut costs, because that's not what we do. We can value engineer. We can make your money go a long way, but we... We're, we're going to make it look beautiful. That's what Heather's main you know, gift besides being an amazing friend and mom in life is to make things look beautiful. So you're not coming to us you know, with the hopes of saving money. So I like to really vet people. I know that we're a luxury business. Um, I do a lot of Google searches. I like to know who my clients are. I like to kind of, if we know people in common, I will ask around. I just, you know, we don't want to work for anybody that isn't invested in the process and knows what they're getting into. And it's a long relationship that you form. So you're getting into a relationship mm -hmm. and you've been really blessed with amazing clients and we hope to keep it that way. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, we have, and a lot of repeat clients, which we've been, so we know, you know, you feel like you're doing something right when people come back to you and say, let's do another house or another one, you know? It's, it, I love that you shared it this way because you said, if we want to make sure that the client is invested in the process and, and, as you're interviewing them, because it should be, you know, they should be interviewing you, you should be interviewing them, right? Because it's a mutual relationship. And as you mentioned, we're essentially married to our client for a while. So yes. that having someone that's invested in the process, I think that's key because I've never heard it said that way. But as you think about it, that's true. When I have clients that are invested, right? They, they see the value, they know what we offer, they know what our designers offer. That means they're in and, and they're going to be in, they're going to be making decisions, they're going to be following the timeline, they're going to be responsive. And then they're going to understand the value you're bringing as designers, right? For you, Lisa and Heather, there's a lot of value you bring and design is much more than just making selections. And that's what a lot of people miss. Yeah, they totally do. I totally agree with that. Um, and I, I mean, we've had a lot of people that didn't work with us through the end who have then come to us and said, God, I really wish we had stayed and worked it through because when you get to the end of that project, there's a million places to go look at things you have to sign off on and decisions to be made and people just aren't prepared for that and that's kind of when people realize like oh i wish i had somebody pulling this all together for me and by then it's too late so the earlier the better that's super key and so how how involved is that vetting process so lisa director of operations i would imagine you're handling that initial phone call when you integrate heather because yes from a structure standpoint this is key that they're getting in the door but then they're going to be working with Heather a lot. So when does she get implemented to say, yeah, I want to work with this client or not? We try to do those kind of vetting calls at the table with all of us. So when we hang up, you know, we have the person on speaker, we hang up and we kind of, Heather and I have a shorthand now. We kind of look at each other. We're like, mm, or yeah, like, let's do it. Um, so it, she's involved early on for sure. I just, we, I don't even schedule the call if I've asked a few questions and I don't like where it's going. Um, or I, you know, shamefully will 
since that you know maybe the budget's not there we're we're trying to take on we're trying to work smarter not harder take on better projects fewer of them you know heather has three kids i have four we want to have lives outside of this business so smarter not harder for us i think that's the goal in the coming years yeah <laughs> yeah we'll get there now we're just working all the time but <laughs> well i think right away sorry brad but to interrupt, but um, yeah, even from a phone call or especially in an in-person meeting initially, you can really get a feel for how the person communicates, if they're how they listen, and just general chemistry. You can you can kind of get a feel if you're gonna almost like a date, like you know, yeah. do I want to go on a second date or yeah. not really. No, that's really good advice, and I love that you brought the research side. You know, it's th some of the more savvy designers and architects that I've interviewed and spoken with. They do this, especially if it's a remodel renovation. They look at where the house is. Um, you know, at, at least in Arizona, you can understand what most people pay for the house. It's all open information, right, on the county records. So you have a good idea of the value of the house. Is the client willing to put in there? And then I'm sure part of that vetting process, you're going to ask them, you know, what are their goals? Like, if they're going to put a certain amount of money, do they plan to stay here? Is it because the schools are good? And so, you know, what are some of the other questions you're going to ask a client as they're looking to hire HW? Have they worked with a designer before and how was their experience? Because I think, you know, we missed a red flag somewhat early on in our careers where somebody had told us that had a horrible experience with a designer and that they had fired them. Um, and then they turned out to not be such a great client for us. So I think that was like a red flag moment. Uh, and we always ask that question now just out of curiosity because the people who have worked with a designer and have loved it are familiar with the process and know that we're here to make their lives easier. We're not here to charge them extra money or like the whole, the goal is. And good money after bad. Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. I love that you share that because I look back at one of my biggest red flags and the client, and this is early in my career. So you're trying to get the job. You're trying to get business development, right? Same. And the yeah. first phone call, they're like, we fired our contractor. We fired our designer, fired our architect. And I'm okay, we'll come solve, you know, we'll solve <laughs> the process for you and make this better. And it was a complete disaster. And that's, again, yeah. that's one of those questions we ask is, have they built a home? What's their relationship? Similar to you, because if they've been through the process, when you're thinking that ideal client, like it's just so much of a better process if they've been through it. And if they haven't, yeah. that's okay. There's still other questions we can ask them, you know, make sure that they're, they're, mm -hmm. they're going to vet correctly. Yeah, of course. And, and what's your budget? I mean, that's a major question. What's your budget? Because honestly, you know, I know the kind of design that we do. I know what Heather's drawn to. I mean, the, the joke is you could give Heather 10 things to choose from and she always picks the finest materials, <laughs> the best of the best. Um, and, taste, but she's, right? Yeah, and it and it always looks so amazing. So it's like I know what 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 our budget numbers are comfortable at for projects, and and I don't even want to get into the conversation with someone if they meet that budgetary limit because otherwise we're just wasting everyone's time. And how often do you get in when you speak budget? This is where it's a little tricky for me when the client asks on budget. It, I don't want to say it's easy, but it, it's restricted in the sense that we're typically talking the house, right? And what we need to do to get CFO, like finish the house and then possibly pull a landscape. Whereas with design, you have now in the construction budget, you have the exterior, you have to put, you know, you're going to work with the architect on exterior finishes typically on the interior, everything, furniture, accessories, window coverings, wallpaper, mirrors. I mean, the list goes on and on. So how are you managing each of those aspects for a budget? you know, as a designer. That's why it's so much easier if they have a number in mind, because in design, you can design 
a little bit, you know, more conservatively, or you can really go for those one of a kind, super unique custom made pieces and, and have a showstopper. And so if, if they give you a budget, it just helps with not having to do revision after revision, mm -hmm. because when you present a design that's gorgeous and everything, and then they hear the number and they're like, oh, no, no, no. Like, you know, we were thinking half that. Well, it's nice if they can give us a budget and then we know on what you know, we could do high lows on where we have to like a cute, you know, great pair of shoes and a white t-shirt where we have to go high and low to balance it and keep it within the budget, which Lisa is the queen of budgets. Yeah. <laughs> I used to be better at it, but as our projects are growing, I'm finding it's getting away from me lately. <laughs> so how do you, you know, thinking of the budget is always difficult, you know, having that conversation because where it's really tough for you as a designer is there is a construction budget and those numbers have been changing with economy and framing and lumber and whatever else. So how, how often do you get involved with the builder and the architect to say, okay, we understand the house budget is going to be X. Yes, they can do this design for that amount, but then also the furniture, because you have to make sure the build doesn't go out of control. So in that way, they still have money to furnish the home, right? Yeah. I think in the sense that we are in a little bit of a bubble, um, in a, in a, in a more of a, a equestrian enclave kind of an area. And so there hasn't been too much pushback, luckily on budgets. We have had it a couple times with some clients that really had to like put their foot down at the end. And, um, but we, we've sort of weeded out our builders too, where we've worked, we're working with sort of people that understand the, the budgets that we're setting, that we're trying to stay in, that will let us know right away if we're approaching a problem that is going to exceed that budget. And then we can make, like I said, a value engineering decision. What are we going to what's worth having, what's not. And it's got to be a, it's a conversation. And we talk to our, I'm sure you talk to designers you work with all the time. And we talk to our builders all the time because there's questions and decisions to be made every day. And we just try to make the best decision for the budget in place. Now, going back to this, because this is key, think about, okay, a client typically is not hiring a designer to save money because there's a lot of value to the designer. So, you know, it, how do you work around that value engineering side? Because as budgets grow, or maybe the numbers come back, you know, do you set that expectation with the client on how many times you'll change a design? Because that's a lot of work. People don't realize if you create a design book and you're now changing the whole thing, that's doubling your work, right? So how are you working out that expectation with the client as you're working through value engineering? I think part of that is with having a complete binder before you start, though, because we have very few changes made once the binder is delivered to the client with all the selections, mood boards, elevations, floor plans. Like once we've gotten to that point and we're bidding with the contractor, we kind of know our selections and what they cost and our hard numbers. And so from there, really the only changes we really ever see on site are additions that the clients have wanted to make or... But then, of course, they understand the cost of those. And it's trickier in a remodel, of course, because you never know what you're getting into. So that's where that becomes a little. But on a new build, it's slightly easier. And it's good. I mean, it sounds like just what you're explaining. I mean, I'm, I'm sure this has taken time as you built your businesses. You, you've gone to the point where the clients understand your value, your design, your aesthetic, right? So as you're designing this, they're not saying, hey, I'm going to go from you know, brass to all matte black, right? Or it's going to change the whole design. I mean, they they really trust you to say, yeah, this is the direction we want to go. So there's not a ton of value engineering, maybe a few budget pieces, but overall, they're they're trusting you, and that's why they're hiring you. 
Exactly. And we yeah. started the process in the beginning with going back and forth with mood boards and kind of, you know, deciding on an aesthetic. And then once we have that in mind and just honing it and refining it from there, but yeah, then there typically aren't too many large changes. Which, which is good. So understanding that, I mean, going back to the process here, you know, that timeline from the beginning, we mentioned, okay, you vet the client, Lisa and Heather. I mean, you're together on that. We understand that. Okay. Let's imagine the client has the right budget timeframe works. I mean, how long is it taking right now for you from that initial vet call until you have a full binder, you know, turnkey design ready to go? Depends on whether it's a new build or, or a remodel for yeah. sure. Mm -hmm. um, and it, I think it depends if they come to us with a set plan, like this is the plan from the architect, it's, you know, it's absolutely perfect. Let's go from here. It's usually more if we're not working all together from the beginning, it's then usually a process of getting to know one another and then uh, them allowing us to say this bedroom on plan looks amazing, but maybe if the windows, you know, were in 12 inches, they would fall behind the nightstands perfectly or, you know, little tweaks like that with furnishings or things that we have a vision to do that could be made, you know, slightly better. So that that process can take a little while. Um, I'm, I'm glad I you like brought that up. Because four to six I, months, yeah, yeah, four to six months, right? Mm -hmm. And and that's that, that's what we're seeing too. But I love that you brought this up, Heather, because even if they have a design that they love, right? There's still input you both have, and this is really goes back to, you know, if I'm someone that says I know what I like, I don't need a designer. I mean, why should a client hire a designer? Because there I, are so many details. Yes, <laughs> but until you're like, for example. I don't know, say we have envisioned this incredible mosaic that's going in a niche. And, you know, we know that it's going to lay out in full scale pattern if we make the niche a foot bigger or, you know, there's so many little details that in the end, those details matter. We're so particular. So to us, they matter so much. So those things, if you start early, can be tweaked so that everything's executed so flawless. Like everything you do, Brad, is like perfection. So. <laughs> That's the difference between a sloppy like job to me and something that was so well thought out and yeah. and executed. And in our in our what I keep calling our binder, our bid package, basically before we've even we've worked with the client, we'll work with the client for that four to six months to get that whole binder perfect, and it'll all the cabinetry elevations, floor plans, all the drawings, all the schedules for the contractors. And at that point, the client already knows what everything costs because we've gone over the tile prices, et cetera, with them. We're taking that whole binder to our three or four contractors bidding the job and they're bidding apples to apples. So the client can really, there's no surprises. We They already patients, they know what kind of tile they're laying, what direction they're laying it in, if it's bone, if it's stacked, if it's there should be no surprises like, oh, I'm going to have to charge you, you know, an extra $3,000 because I have to skim this wall because I didn't know that we were going to put penny rounds on the wall. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you did because you had a bid binder, you know? So it's like insurance for the client too, that they've worked with someone who's going to get them the best possible price, the best possible contractor for the job because it's aware of all the aspects before you've even gotten a shovel in the ground. That part I think is valuable. And that's why I think a client should hire us. That's super valuable. And it really helps the builder. I can say from a builder aspect, right? I, when I look at design and good designers, as you mentioned, I mean, that design book's key. It's funny. I was just in a meeting last week with our designer and architect. And the architects already know where we stand. We're sitting there. We have the architectural plans. We have our design binder, our design book, right? And the client was asking because there's things that differ, you know, changes are made in the design as this evolves, even though we have a permitted set, right? 
And they asked me how we do this. The client asked me in front of the architect and designer. And I said, we build off the design book. Like that's our Bible, right? This is, we live and die by, by the design book. And really, if you have someone such as yourself, Lisa and Heather, where you have this amazing design book, well, it makes my job easier as the builder. I mean, we can just execute that. And that's really what the clients have envisioned from the beginning anyways. Right. And it really is a Bible. And you know, sometimes they're like this fat. They're super thick. Yeah. And you need like a tote just to carry the thing. Yeah. And mm-hmm. but we will refer back constantly too. And yeah, it definitely becomes like your like your Bible. Yeah. It is. And it's 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 key. And so from your side, you know, what makes a builder successful? I, I'm sure you've worked with a lot of builders over the years and some without calling anyone out because I'm sure you have some relationships there. You know, what separates the good ones from the other ones? I'm going to say willingness, right? I mean, I think willingness to try something new to just because you haven't seen it before or done it before, you can figure it out. Like we just want to be told, I don't know, but I'll, I'll make, I'm sure it can be done. I think the worst, the worst thing to, to, to be in design and then have somebody tell you like, I can't do it. It's just not possible. It's like, I have a picture of it right here. Somebody else did it, you know, like, I know it can be done. So I think the, for that, that for me, it's willingness. What about you, Heather? I feel like all the good ones definitely are almost like excited and, and they're ready to figure it out. And then definitely when they, you see that they've actually really thoroughly looked over everything really well and come early in the game to you with like, Hey, I see you want to do this. Like, here's the possible problems. They kind of let you troubleshoot before you get too far in. Mm-hmm. Um, and communication, communication, like, like Lisa said, we've got really great relationships with our contractors there. We probably talk to them more than our spouses and kids. For sure. <laughs> um, and it's just a lot of communication and not letting anything slip through the cracks. Those, I, I know I put you on the spot with that, but I mean, that's such valuable information as I think about that, the willingness I've, I've seen that resistance, um, in my career and in the past where a designer will ask for something or have this amazing design and the builder's like, no, we can't do it. Right. And it's just immediate pushback. And it just creates this conflict because it's not even, even if there's a challenge to do it or maybe a budget constraint, there should still be some R and D, right? Some research and development, yes. like, can it be done? Maybe yeah. here's a solution. Like here's an option. Here's option one, two, three, that gets us fairly close. Right. Yeah. And then totally. in the end when they're really willing and it's a little bit challenging. And like you said, a little R and D, but in the end, when you create something incredible and super unique you've done it together you feel like you've you know just like climbed mount mount Fuji. yeah exactly i know you've you've created a a milestone that you can achieve and then who knows i mean now in the social media age i know we're both super active on instagram i mean now you can publish that right and people see which can lead to further jobs and you know the communications keen i love that you talked about that uh heather you mentioned that the the gc has looked at everything right they've done their preparation and i've seen value there from even our team, as they've you know been able to go through the design book, they've gone through the architectural plans. As they reach back out to the architect or the designer, even the client, like the client understands, hey, if if you're doing this research and understand our designer and all these meetings, maybe you weren't a part of, you know, you were in good hands having you as our builder because you've done, yes, you know, the back end research. Yeah. Especially here in South Florida, and I'm sure all over now, but the industry is just so busy. I think a lot of contractors are really quick to take on, take on, take on, and not really even look at it until you're about to start. And then they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And so we love the ones that look at it with ample time and then we can troubleshoot early on. Well, it's key too, because if you're not looking at it, I mean, based on your designs or furniture plan, I mean, they're, it can be very complex, right? When you start thinking about electrical locations or low voltage and if a backsplash, do we need to have plug mold? You know, do we need to hide this? So if they're doing, you know, are we having outlets in the baseboard everywhere? And 
And these are details you're coming up with that if we're not looking at and they're missed, I mean, this is big money later down the road, right? A lot of renovation work we have to do on a new build, which should not be the case. Right. And let's be honest, we're all in the business of building luxury homes, right? So I don't think you can call yourself a luxury home builder and then not be willing to do something that's outside of the box, which I think is funny whenever whenever it happens rarely now. But when it used to happen, it used to just kind of be like, really? You know, you can't figure this out. <laughs> So from that side, you know, how often are you involved with the builder? In, so after you finish your design book and they start construction, we said four to six months and the construction is going, how often do you like to be a part of the job walks? Is the contractor involved in you? All how many time. site visits do you typically do on a new build? Oh my goodness gracious. At least once a week. Really? Uh, yeah. Oh my goodness. If not more. The local ones. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on the local ones, we, there are weeks and depending on like the finishing that's going on or what finishes, but there's times we go twice a day. It just depends. But I mean, minimum, I would say once a week, but sometimes on the daily. Yeah. And calls definitely two, three, four times a day over, you know, just small things, but just because they, they appreciate the amount of work that went into that package and they don't want to screw it up. So they want to ask every little question, which we'd rather have than just making a decision, a unilateral decision, and and it not being what the intended outcome was, because we all know those can be expensive mistakes to fix. And and, and as much preparation as you do, you know that no matter what, every time you do a site visit, there's going to be something that you find together with the contractor or you know one or the other that can be made better or wasn't thought of as much as you think of everything you can possibly think of beforehand. Mm -hmm. I feel like you on site visits, you find so many things and ways to improve the project that if you hadn't gone and missed it, it's, it's just a shame because it, it could have been that much better. Well, it's interesting you bring that up, Heather, because not only are you finding maybe inconsistencies or questions or things in the field, but I'd imagine I, I've seen some of the best designers I've worked with are really savvy in the sense that they understand the construction process, right? They understand the construction schedule and a lot of the technical parts of construction they just do. And, and really that doesn't happen unless you're on site around right. it, hearing it, hear the contractor talk, maybe the trade partners. And so picking up on that dialogue or understanding, I'm sure as the years have gone on, have, have really helped you both really understand the backside of it, the other side of the building portion. Yeah. In the beginning, we were even on site even more with our builds, and I think we were at like the HVAC meetings, and we would walk, you know, and say where we wanted the vents. Like we were so, we would be at every meeting, at the low voltage meetings. We would there. There wasn't anything that happened at the house in the first couple projects that were new builds that we weren't a part of. Like we have pictures of us in that house in every stage of construction. Um, but I think that that was super valuable because we learned so much, and now we don't have to be at all the little, you know, the smaller things that matter so much because we understand now when they're calling what they're asking about. We don't have to see it in person as much, you know. Now we're super excited to welcome one of our new sponsors to the podcast, Pella Windows. And this is even more exciting because we use Pella in so many of our projects, nearly all of them. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. 
Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their their company culture, their integrity, their honesty, you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So, for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. And now let's get back into the episode. So how has that changed? You know, when you mentioned this, Lisa, you're talking about when you go into a house, in the beginning, you know, you'd lay out the mechanical, right? And the vents, because that's super key. Can lights, fire sprinklers, vents. You want to make sure if you have ceiling details or things line up that it's symmetrical, right? There's a whole design there. So how has, I don't want to say ruined you, but how does the house that change now as you look at other photography that you see on social media or as you travel and visit certain places, you tend to have, I would imagine, more eye for detail. You're looking at this mm-hmm. stuff where you're like, hey, they should have done it this way. We send each other things back and forth on Instagram all the time. Like, can't believe they didn't steam that sofa first. Or like, look at where that vent is. You know, like we find the stupidest things that we pointed out. But that's just because we, especially Heather, is like eagle eye for detail and does not miss a thing. And she has this visual memory. She could see something five years ago. She can, she'll remember it if she saw it. If she read it or you told her about it, she's probably not going to remember it. But if she saw it, she's totally going to remember it. I'll say, I have a picture after I dig through my 50,000 pictures. He'll find it. He'll make it I do. So do you, do either of you prefer a new build or remodel more than the other? I don't know. I kind of like a remodel. I mean, a new build is nice because it's a clean slate, but I love a before and after picture is like worth a thousand words, I think. So that is so true. It is, it is fun. I love them both equally. I love it all. I mean, I love, you know, every little aspect. Well, yeah. And so, so remodels are more difficult as we know. I know from a building side, it's a little more complex and, you know, on a new build, it's with our management process, we never leave a month staff, right? I always have someone on site Mm -hmm. driving the project and watching it. However, with the remodel, I mean, it's even more inclusive, right? We have to be involved with all the subs, lay them out. You know, it's not like you could just build off a set of plans. So it's a little different. Now, for you as a designer, it's a little tricky too because you do have a big presence locally there in Florida where you're working, but you also do work outside of Florida. So how does that change the operation? How does that change the vetting process? How does that change your systems now with travel when you can't go to the project once a week or twice in a day if you may need to and it's out of state? It's a lot of FaceTime and texts and emails and as much as we can accomplish digitally. And then we do visit. I mean, our Puerto Rico project, we went probably, what, six or seven times over a year and stayed for, you know, from anywhere from three days to a week each time. So we do do the site visits, even if we're managing from afar, we're still managing. So how have you learned to do that? Because this is where it's a little tricky. When you're, say, for example, your Puerto Puerto Rico project, as you're putting together your budget, you don't have to share what numbers are, of course, but are you putting in there a budget for travel per diem, right? That yes. you know you're going to make a certain amount of yeah. travel appointments to this destination. Yeah, we try to we try to estimate it and say again, it's just an estimate, an allowance for this because I really don't know how many times we're going to need to go. But 
usually you can also, I mean, some clients don't, don't want you to kind of take on that management piece. They just kind of want the design binder and that's all they want. Then we have other clients who do want a full service, manage my construction. And of course they're priced differently. One is priced at a percentage and one is an hourly rate. So it just depends on how much they want to be involved. And and almost always in the end, they kind of come to us and say, oh, this has become a love-hate project <laughs> because had I realized, and we say, we, you know, we, we didn't want to say I told you so, but. <laughs> yeah, we know. <laughs> you do know. And that's the thing, like at trial and error, right? There's enough mistakes we all make in our career that when we sit out the client and they want to take us a certain direction, we can hold firm and say, no. This isn't going to work. And I'll tell you why I've been down this road and X, Y, and Z happen, right? When I have a client that says, hey, Brad, I want to buy my plumbing fixtures on Amazon because I could get them cheaper than your distributor, right? I see you both like shaking your head because I know you get this all the time. You know, it, it, it's easy for me to say, no, I've, I've done that. I've allowed a client to do that. It costs them way more money because everything came out missing pieces. Yeah. Whereas your distributor now is going to stand behind it. They're going to cover labor, the warranty, and it's a known entity. We know where the product's coming from. So how have you protected that? I mean, on the designer side, it's even more com complicated. I mean, I give the plumbing fixture line. I may have a client look at plumbing fixtures, maybe light fixtures, which sometimes a designer provides. But you're dealing with it across the board, from furniture to cabinet hardware to everything that they're looking up. So how do you handle that conversation with the client to understand the value you're bringing by facilitating, handling, installing everything yourself? Yeah, well, they'll ask about shipping and receiving, and Lisa right away is pretty much like, you have no idea how many pieces come damaged and the amount of time that it takes to unwrap and inspect and, you know, deal. And not to mention throw away all those crates. I mean, who, who, if you've ever had a large piece of furniture delivered to your house, you know, it comes crated and boxed and wrapped, you know, things like don't consider um, when they're considering costs at the end, but we try to just be super upfront with costs. And in our contract, we have a purchasing fee, a cost plus markup, um, they obviously have to read and sign our contract before they work with us. If they don't, that's another red flag. <laughs> we wouldn't go any further than that. So, and I kind of explain to people that we buy some items at wholesale and you're going to save off retail. And we buy some items close to retail and you might pay slightly over retail. It's all going to work out in the end, but the advantage is we're handling it all. You don't have to think about anything. You don't have to receive anything. You don't have to be home for a delivery. You don't have to go look at a tile. You don't have to arrange for a delivery, like nothing. And that's what that purchasing fee covers. Yeah. And I think most people don't understand that because they always want to know, well, what's your markup? Heaven Lisa, what are you making? Right? Because they're, you know, that's easy to look at low hanging fruit, if you will. And I had Lauren Coburn on, you know, from Chicago and she said, you know, early in her career, she would do furniture at cost and her fee would be a little bit more. And it was a way for her to get business. And then she realized like, what am I doing? Because especially now she's like furniture's coming damaged and just the handling, you know, repackaging, shipping back, be, customer service. I mean, I'm sure you two could attest to this, that the, it's not so much ham and order this furniture chart that simple. There's 5,000 steps in this that people don't realize. Yeah. Time job, just mm -hmm. yeah. ordering, tracking, receiving, returning, putting in claims. That's a full-time job separate from design project. Literally. I mean, every day, if not twice a day, we get an email from our receiving warehouse that something came in damaged. So it's not like, you know, we're dealing with a lot of furniture on a daily basis and a lot of damages, a lot of claims. It's Things are getting delayed six months out to sea. I mean, it's just an unusual time to begin with. And so once something does come in damaged, then you have to deal with the client that, okay, I'm sorry you waited six months for your sofa, but it came damaged and now you're going to wait another six months. Like you, 
there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah, it's like that 40% is part like an angst fee for, for all the like headaches, you know? <laughs> so how, you know, as your business have grown, that's changed, right? I would imagine in the beginning, you know, everyone has to take time to scale and get up. And now you have a department that can handle the receivables. So as that comes in, I mean, how often are both of you involved with that aspect? Because that is a major part of not only your your project, but it's also a major part of your company. Uh, yeah, that would be my daily life. I'm kind of on top of all that. That's sort of where the director of operations title kind of comes in um, because that's kind of where I like to keep my wheelhouse. So it, the creative side is all Heather and the business management side is all me. So Heather specs everything, says what she wants, what size. We lay, She lays it all out on plan. We She, she selects her. As soon as it leaves her hands, then it kind of comes into mine. And then it's sort of mine from there until the day it gets installed. It's a complete team effort. We have, you know, two other girls also in the office. We're the three of us mostly are working on design and and um, drawing and rendering and elevating and finishes and finish samples. And uh, and then Lisa definitely makes all the magic happen behind the scenes. <laughs> So, well, a big thing to you is the, the relationship with your vendors, right? I mean, the more vendors that you have good relationships with, good rapport for returns, exchanges, even ordering and purchasing. Are there certain, over your career, have you found more beneficial shows to attend, trade shows? Are there different markets? Which ones do you enjoy the most or have been the most beneficial? We definitely enjoy High Point the most. We've mm-hmm. done Vegas and, and other you know smaller ones, but High Point is definitely beneficial and well I like High Point. If you have, I mean, I would definitely recommend it. And just getting to know first initially all of your reps there. And sometimes you have reps that you deal with that you haven't actually met in person. And so to raise a glass and have a drink and realize that you're both, you know, great fun people. And when you call them for a return or something, they're, it's much nicer. <laughs> yeah, they're more it, likely to help you out for sure. Yeah, that's that's good perspective. It's interesting because one of the advantages I, you know, I was speaking to some builders and they're saying, well, I'm reluctant to go to the build show, which is in our market a little bit different. And, and, and you really mentioned a key piece there, Heather, is that we, we can have a relationship with our vendors, which are key to our success. And a lot of that, they're either out of state or they're over a region, right? So it's not like we're seeing them every day. They're not local. And so the advantage of going to the build show is you're direct connecting with people, right? Um, and I, I won't throw one on the bus, but there's this one company that I use a lot of their product and I was trying to be like, purchase it myself, purchase it direct. And they would never... You know, they kept shutting me down. So I, I went to the build show, went to their booth, and I found the person that kept shutting me down. And when I saw him and I said, Hey, I'm Brad, I'm the one that keeps bothering you. And they're like, Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Let's go ahead. Let's find yeah. him. <laughs> so it's, it's a little to bit say no to somebody's face, right? Yeah, they couldn't hide behind email. <laughs> but but it was key because it allowed us to be more successful. And I, I, I love that you brought that up because that's the value of the designer going to high point or the builder show, right? Is you're making connections inside outside your network. At the end of the day, this mark we're only successful with those connections that we have. Yeah, hundred percent. And reps will even, you know, sometimes refer you. Say like, hey, we have like, you know, we have our obviously our favorite reps who are just great to work with and have a good attitude. And sometimes they'll say like, hey, you know, I sent so and so your way. They may, you know, give you a call or something. It's just full circle. That that's a really good point too, Heather, because you think about just the business development side, right? As you built that relationship and your trusted entity. If they have inquiries from whoever it may be, it could be a retail inquiry or whatever, and they say, hey, talk to HW because we know that they're going to do a great job, stand behind you, they're your aesthetic. And so that that's another arm that most of us have never thought of. Yeah. yeah and locally too, we get a lot of, um, we've got referrals from like our plumbing rep, whoops, uh, 
you know, a friend of a friend needed someone, I mean, things like that, that some of those have, one of those turned into a very good job we're currently doing. Um, So you you just never know. And it, it just always helps to have a relationship with everyone. We just try to all our reps come in, like, shoot the shit, like, hang out, bring margaritas, you know, <laughs> like, they come in to hang out, because we try to have fun, and we, we live in this office, so we try to have fun here, at least. Yeah, well, our job's too stressful if you're not having fun, right? Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, and the feel of our firm is not, I mean, I'm sure every firm has a different feel, but ours is not, like, uptight or serious. We're very open, approachable. We laugh so much, like you said, it's very stressful, so and there's always something wild going on. Always. <laughs> but it's good yeah. to like, we've drawn the clients like that too. So our clients are so much fun. Most of our clients, you know, we've gone to their weddings and to mm-hmm. their, you know, kids, we end up becoming friends with them. So. Yeah. They're like family because you're with them for two years. I mean, a, a good build could take two years and you know, their favorite colors, you know, what their kids, how their kids like to live, where they like to do their homework, where they eat at the table or they eat at the aisle. Like, you know, so many intimate details about them. They become like family, I feel like. Yeah. I love that. That's so key. So who is managing, um, you know, when you think about the schedule side, cause I know Heather, you're doing a lot of the creative and Lisa, you're doing the director of operations, the back end. but right now schedules are drawn out. Furnishings are taking longer to come in. Who's, who's managing the schedule and then updating the client? you know, as hopefully you get some shipping updates on some of your products. Lisa's usually, if it's design related or design changes, anything design, I'm dealing with the client on that. And if it's scheduling or updates, I do like the construction updates. I do like the furniture schedule up. Anytime there's any design changes or updates with the design, they hear from Heather. Otherwise they'll hear from me or one of the girls in the office with all the detail, you know, the nitty gritty scheduling stuff. So as if you're not wearing enough hats, who's handling all the marketing and social media? That would be, that would be Heather. Not <laughs> <laughs> a time uh, consuming one, definitely. But we started our Instagram with nothing. It was pictures of Lisa's house. And uh, and yeah, it's, it's definitely, I enjoy it because I connect with so many creatives and learn so much. And there are great relationships that have come from it, but it's definitely time consuming. Oh, it's super time consuming. And, you know, mom, kids, you know, working business. I mean, how are you finding the time for social media? I know I get asked this a lot. It's just a lot on our plate. I know. I'd like to have, hear how you find it. <laughs> also, I, last thing I do before I put my, you know, finally close my eyes. And it's the first thing I do before I even get out of bed. And then I'm doing it in between when I have five minutes here, if I've got stoplights, not driving. At <laughs> I mean, just in between peppering it through however I can make it work and trying to answer. And it's hard because, of course, as your Instagram grows, I try to answer everyone. But a lot of people, too, now will ask for sources and things. And I need to find a way to politely say, like, that's like, you know, our intellectual property and the clients paid for it. So, no, I can't give you like every source from every photo. Um, it's And that's a tough thing. I mean, I know I had someone on house they asked for... Um, just a paint color. It was a custom paint color. The client was really proprietary about it. And so I, I, in a kind way on house, right. I just wrote back like, this is proprietary. And it's funny. There are like 10 trolls that wrote back all upset. Like, who are you? Just give the colors, just a paint color. And I'm like, it's just <laughs> the weirdest reaction, you know? I know, but it's not just a paint color. I mean, you think about it like hours of putting up swatches. Yeah. And- I right. mean, 
it took a long time to, it's not like we just flipped open a Benjamin Moore deck and we're like, we're going to take that one. You know, we had like six or eight colors. We put them with the roof tile. We put them with the pavers. We put them on the house. We look like it's, you're talking about five hours of total work on different people's parts just to get those samples up. And it's like, no, I don't want to just give it to you. Yeah. Like, you know, somebody paid for those five hours. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. You both brought this up because that going back to earlier in the conversation, we said, why hire an interior designer? And it's a lot more complex than just saying, here's a paint swatch, right? Like this example, the it's like a Tiffany blue and it's a butler's pantry, right? Beautiful cabinetry. And there was hours spent on, okay, what is the color of the lighting, right? The LED lighting, how's that going to reflect? And it's in this side of the house. Here's some wood. Wood takes paint color different. So how's this Tiffany blue? You know, and there's a lot of customization. So people don't realize the final picture here. I mean, there's hours upon hours. This isn't Here's a paint swatch. There's so much involved from the designer and the cabinet manufacturer. And like that cabinet sample might have come back and, and, you know, Heather might have said, nope, I think it's a click two blue. Like I want to go. So it got sent back and then we did another one. You know, it's a process. And we want to see it on the cabinet in the finish. So it's, you know, so it's got to go back to the cabinet maker and all of that, you know, driving or shipping or in time. It's just, it's, yes, one paint color can be a big price tag. (laughs) Yeah. It can't. By people see it on Instagram and then we'll ask you, you know, 800 times, what's the color of this island? Because it's something people have never seen before. And they've never seen it before because it came out of your brain. And it came out of your brain because you looked at all the samples together and you pulled, the, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah. I don't know. It's hard. Yeah. I mean, I do sometimes give colors because I have a hard time saying no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, other times there's just not enough time or hours in the day. Or if something's really proprietary to a client, then I just don't think that that's right either. Yeah, I think there's levels. I mean, I've seen that a lot of people inquire on certain things that we're using and some things may be super easy or not, you know, super secretive, if you will. And it's easy to share that, but some things there has been a lot of time and effort from the designer, from the client. And that's something we want to keep sacred to them for the investment that they made. Definitely. So how has Instagram been beneficial then, Heather? You're managing that. You're seeing a little bit more of the marketing side. Has it led to business development? Has it led to help your reputation? I mean, where do you see the value being that, you know, it is taking a lot of time? Definitely. I mean, we've definitely found and some, they've found us, some incredible clients have come to us through Instagram. So when that started happening, I think in the beginning, I started it thinking like, we should have a good Instagram. Why not? Kind of a thing. And um, as it got better and a little more time and attention, and we had wonderful photography because the photographers make a huge difference and that's an investment. But as we started seeing it grow, we definitely started drawing clients for sure. And it gives you, it's like your portfolio of work. It's your most current work. Yeah. It's up to date. I think it's the easiest place to send someone if they say, you know, what does your work look like? Well, here's my whole portfolio, you know, it's, it's really some good clients from Instagram. I love that aspect because as you mentioned, it's a living resume. It's a lot more difficult to update a website, but the Instagram daily, you can update as you mentioned, Heather. and. And so how much strategy goes into what you post and the content you're putting on Instagram? Well, I have always winged it pretty much like the night before. What am I going to post tomorrow? We've gotten better now. I started using an app to plan our posts. So Lisa is an English lit major, actually. So the latest is like, hey, Lisa, come over for wine and like (laughs) captions. (laughs) (laughs) So that we've done that once, but that's going to continue. Yeah, that, that was fun. Actually, we're going to do that again. Yeah. <laughs> so, you got to put her to work on some of that English yeah. lit, right? Use yeah, that, use that. 
So um, now I'm trying to be more organized just because, again, time is so precious and valuable. So and also, you know, my poor family literally sees me, you know, and every time I, I, I dedicate quality time, I'm a good mama. But there are definitely times where I'm like, I'm good, but I just have to like answer 400 people and I'll be right there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can relate to that. I'm sure there's times my wife's like, hey, Brad, you need to put the phone down, like, you know, be present, you know, and that's always something, you know, that balance, you know. Because outside of the business and mom and kids, I mean, what are what do both of you enjoy doing for fun? Because that's important how to manage that work-life balance. Um, well, I mean, we play tennis, we work out, we just spend time with our families more than anything. I mean, we, we like to travel. We both love to travel. So um, we do that when we can, but mostly... My vacation time this year, I had my tickets booked to go, to go to Spain to visit my son and my husband who were in Spain. And um, a few days before wasn't feeling that great and tested positive for Corona. So that <laughs> went right out the window. <laughs> no Spain. No Spain. This year was a little, we did a lot of travel for work, but not too much personal travel. But yeah, we both love to play tennis and hope to get back to playing some kind of a team tennis. We did that in our past lives. That's actually where we met. We met playing tennis a hundred years ago. Interesting. I was going like to ask, <laughs> I was going to ask how you both met and how, you know, how did the partnership, you know, form? So we met playing tennis and um, we used to play tennis and then go work out together. And I was building a, a home at the time and um, my dad got sick it. and I knew that Heather had had uh, had gone to design school and I knew her personal style and her house was beautiful. And so she had offered because my dad was sick to help me uh, with the build. And it was a good thing because he got sicker and he died relatively quickly. Um, and then we moved in sort of the first turnkey house because everything had been done down to the dishes and the accessories and everything like a super he was caring for him and by his side 24 7 and so the last month or so I was like don't even come just come with your toothbrush and I wanted it to be even more special because I knew you know what she had gone through so when she walked in the door it was like a move that bus moment yeah totally I hadn't seen it like a brand furnished it from top to bottom I hadn't seen it she did it all uh, but through that process, we figured out that we just worked really well together because she would sort of spec everything and I would order it and, you know, sort of keep the accounting together. And my, um, my ex-husband was an accountant, so he was really concerned with the budget. So we had to kind of stay on that and we, ha- it was just a good experience. I loved, and then- so much I loved her after that. Cause I, you know, sure, of course I'll help you do the new build. And it was like a year of my life. like, <laughs> And so it wasn't until we got really we started working together later and got really busy that she was like, you really loved me, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> like, wow, that was a lot. And I didn't know. Yeah. But from there, people started to inquire, like, did she, did Heather want to take on any more work? And she, finally, she took on a couple small projects and then I think realized she hated to do all the administrative stuff and didn't really care about making money at all. Like, I think Heather would literally work for free if she got to design really beautiful stuff <laughs> and didn't have a budget. And and she would totally work for free. I, on the other hand, am not that generous. I would like to make money. So it just worked out that she realized what her skill set was and we knew what mine was and we just started to roll with it. And, and it was like a joke in the beginning, like field of dreams, like if you build it, they will come. We were like, we're just going to park ourselves here at my kitchen table with our seven kids and four dogs running around. Um, and literally six years ago, started at my kitchen table. And here we are. I mean, we just bought an office building and I mean, we're just... We're blessed, I think, more than anything. 
That's amazing. So Heather, so you weren't even like designing for clients at the time. So was Lisa essentially your first client or were you still doing some? So initially early on, I did some things like way back when for people, little jobs and things, but more like window treatments and pillows and pulling rooms together. Nothing with like new builds or anything. And then I traveled for a lot of years with my husband, who was a professional athlete. So we were picking up and setting up shop all over the country and out of the country and with three young kids. Um, I met Lisa when I was, you know, the kids were a little older. I was finding my sanity. I was playing a little daytime tennis. And that's when we really became friends. And then watching her go through her dad, who she was really close with and getting ill and just kind of, you know, I really didn't realize a new build, how much time it was going to take. But once I was in, I mean, here was my good friend taking care of her dad. I wasn't going to say, actually, you know what? This is kind of a lot. <laughs> right. So, um, after finishing that, like Lisa said, a lot of people started to ask and I did take on some projects on my own and it was, you know, full time and all consuming. And I love Lisa to pieces and she's super organized. And I kind of over wine, I probably gave her a bottle <laughs> and said, hey, <laughs> what do you think about like quitting playing tennis and going to work? Just, it was like a three month conversation, actually. Yeah. She and I was like, let me help you a little bit. I can do a little bit of invoicing for you. And then I was like, she's like, I need some business cards. I'm like, let me find those. I'll order those for you. It kind of like started very slowly. And then next thing you know, I'm like creating an LLC and here we are. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> like most things, she just wears you down. That's what it is. <laughs> I'm very persistent. Yes. Well, it's good. I mean, that's a key attribute, right? To be successful. But I think, you know, for most of us running a design business and architecture or construction, I mean, it, it's one thing to have the vision, right? But you also have to have the backing. You have to have the structure, the systems, the protocol. Okay. And most of us don't spend enough time with that. And and I know it's difficult. I'm sure that's where Heather saw your value too, Lisa. And together, that's that partnership that really makes sense, right? Because now, as you know, you have that synergy together because you have your roles, you both love what you do. And and that's where most of us need to spend a little bit more time is probably the back inside. I know we're working towards that because that's yeah. what will help us be successful at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think you can't take on more projects until you've sort of gotten a hold of what you have, right? So I think that's why like we try to keep processes and schedules together and and we, you know, our group calendars and everything, just everything to kind of organize us because we we do want to take on more work. We do want to grow, but you kind of can't do that until you really have a good handle on what you have. Yeah. I think in the beginning, like we, we were lucky we started slow. We were able to just kind of build our way up and get the process down as we started to take on more work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I know definitely like as I am always sourcing new things visually and design, Lisa's always coming in with new ideas and new ways to like streamline and improve and, you know, whatever software base camp or, you know, whatever, she, you know, that's all, all coming from Lisa, which is crucial. Well, and the key too, I mean, to seek the clientele that you both have now and that you want, you know, when you, you said this early on, Lisa, that it's a luxury business, right? And there has to be a luxury delivery, right? And, totally. and that's only going to come with systems and processes where the client does feel that white glove service. And that's what's going to keep them as a repeat customer. Yeah. Filling our full installations, which the way we like to do it. And the only way I'm sure as you is like full install down to the last you know, candle flower place so that when they, they open the door and see the full vision, it's different than seeing partial and wondering yep. and then mm -hmm. starting to think, hmm, maybe, you know, that's, you know, they need to see it all together. So that's been the toughest thing, I think. Through yeah. That. And we, we've been lucky that would stay out of the house while the renovation is going on. And then we get that moment on camera where they come in and they just burst into tears. And that's like super gratifying because, you know, you know what went into it.
it's nice to see that that they are really appreciating it and and just in awe of the whole thing, which is it's been awesome. Yeah, we had a project recently where the designer, same thing, they had a grand reveal. The clients hadn't come by for the last month intentionally. They had to furnish down to the every detail as Heather would do. And the client walked in and, you know, tears because they had never, this is their first home they had built. And to see all their hard work pay off, like it's just, there, there's yeah. no feeling like it, you know? Yeah, there isn't. It's so gratifying. Happy clients. It, it makes, like, literally, it, it makes us so happy. Just today, before we started recording, this huge floral arrangement showed oh, up. Oh, look. And it, there it is. Oh, there <laughs> she literally just sent this gorgeous arrangement to thank us and the team and, you know, tell her how happy she was with all, you know, all of her hard work. And that was like yeah. the best moment. Yeah. I mean, oh, that's I what that. you do it all for, really. Mm-hmm. You know, you, the design is amazing and you love to have beautiful design. You love to have beautiful photos, but happy people in the end is the best it part. It makes our life happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what's upcoming and exciting for HW Interiors? The new headquarters. Yes. Really? <laughs> we bought an office building, which we're very excited about. We've been talking about that literally since, you know, day one at my kitchen table. Uh, someday we're going to have our own office building. So we're, we're, we did that. We're doing that. That's, That's exciting. Very exciting. And we have some really great, fun projects coming up um, that we're super excited about. Some really fun renovations and some more travel, more faraway projects. So. Yeah, busy, we're busy. We, have also, we haven't really done like a high rise type of situation. So we have uh, one of those going on in Miami, which is fun. Wow. Ocean. Another project in Puerto Rico, which is a whole different experience. Working on an island is completely different logistical experience. We got it. It's easy to get furnishings there at least. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we ended up importing everything for that project. So that was something. But yeah, we have a lot of. We're in a good place. And of course, you what? know that the business is booming right now with everybody spending their vacation money they didn't use last year on home improvements. So, yeah, that's that's one of the benefits is they're seeing the value of a well-designed house, right? And totally. having a good house that inspires them, that motivates them, that they can entertain. It's definitely an outlet for the chaos that is our political system and the coronavirus, right? It's a, an outlet, and that's what's nice, and that's where you both play a really key role. You've all learned that your house has got to be your sanctuary for you and your family. Because we forget, if we ever have to spend any amount of, you know, we did that. We spent enough time cooped up and realized what worked and what didn't work. And and we all want it to be a, hopefully not the second time around, but a great experience. Yeah. That. <laughs> well, up. that's super exciting. So, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to follow along and see the new office digs and everything else you do in these new projects in Puerto Rico on the high rise in Miami. So where can our listeners find you to follow along? Definitely hwinteriors.net. Yeah. And Instagram at hw.interiors. That comes to our website. You can sign up for the blog as well. Um, yeah. And of course, our stories are always crazy. Our Instagram stories. <laughs> because we're a cast of characters around here. Well, you've both been amazing, Lisa and Heather. Thank you so much for making time today. Thank you Thank for you having so us. For having us. Thank you. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.